0: Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 239. And joining us today on Zoom, we hope you are, of course, is, uh, of course, our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Hi, everybody. Here she is. Our writer, two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello, everyone. And our over-the-edge reporter and producer of the podcast, Greg Carlos.
1: Hello, hello.
0: All right, we've got a trio of vehicles we're going to talk about. We've got a lightning round. We've even got a viewer question. We'll see if anybody has a rant and rave. So let's get to it. And this is very timely because uh, this week that we're doing the, uh, the podcast, we had the first chance to uh, drive the 2021 Volkswagen ID4. And for those that aren't clued in, ID is the sub brand that Volkswagen is using for their dedicated electrified models. And the ID4, which is a compact SUV, will be the first one sold here in the US and will eventually be made at Volkswagen's Chattanooga, Tennessee assembly plant but Jessica just came back from actually having a chance to drive the ID4 in person. And so I'm going to turn it over to her and let her tell us all about it.
2: Well, um, it was certainly a, a positive experience. I, I didn't have too much time, but uh, I had a good 45 minutes um, to drive it. it. It was a pre-production version. So um, we'll have uh, a more extended time to drive it in a few months, but uh somebody commented on one of our uh reveal photos um, so some reveal photos that we had, and they said it was an inoffensive design <laughs> and i when you see it in person like that's so true like mm. I felt like it was very inoffensive, like when you look at it, you don't feel as if it's an electric car that you're looking at. It's so it's, it's, it's
0: not way out in any way.
2: Correct. Um, and it doesn't have, you know, I think some people aren't a fan of, you know, funky colors, sort of like what we see with uh, like the Mini Cooper um, that had some neon colors. Maybe some people aren't really into this. I thought that it was very tasteful. And um, it's a good size. I mean, it's, it's subcompact, um, but you like a lot of those subcompact crossovers you do feel like you're driving a car rather than something that's that's bigger than it is i will say that there is no front trunk mm. um i we didn't see any in the pictures and that was confirmed um when we opened up the hood they have some um uh, think cooling cooling systems and uh like hvac is um is in the front area, and then of course when the all-wheel drive version comes out, which is an additional 100 horsepower uh, in 2022, that additional uh, motor components will be stored up in the front. Um, let me
0: let me ask you, since up until recently, the and you mentioned the mini, the two most fun to drive uh, EVs that we've driven are were the golfie the Volkswagen Golfie and the Mini SE. How do you think this, does it drive like a Volkswagen? Does it drive sporty? I
2: mean, yes.
0: most electric cars are not known for having a particularly sporty attitude with those two exceptions.
2: Yes, I mean, I definitely agree that it drives like a Volkswagen. I think when I got in the car, sat in the car, started driving, it really, um, it felt like a Volkswagen. It was, <laughs> it was a very smooth ride um very pleasant um of course and um you know there you, you had quite a few different modes you had a normal mode you had a sport mode and you had an eco mode and I, I tested it on the highway i tested it on sort of more of back roads so i did a bit of mixed driving and um i remember i had it in sport and i was merging onto the highway and i turned my head you know for a second to check my blind spot. And by the time that I had moved over into the lane and been back, uh, looking forward, I was going like 70 miles an hour. Mm. You don't really realize how fast it can just, you know, propel you forward.
0: All that instant torque.
2: Yeah. Of course, you know, that's, I wouldn't say, you know, a little normal, uh, when switching from combustion engine to an EV. Um, but it's definitely, I, I, I really enjoyed myself the, the whole time that I was driving it.
0: I have a question about the interior. But Volkswagen interiors don't change very much. This is a, a complete departure. We don't have any pictures we can show right now, but if you Google it, you'll see a very clean dash with a big prominent display in the center. How did it how did you interact with it? Did you like it? Because this will be this is something really new as well.
2: Yeah, I mean uh, the, it was, it's a simplified version. I think um, you, there, there's really no buttons like we see, you know, in, in uh, traditional Volkswagens. So everything is, is touchscreen. I didn't get to really use it to its full capabilities because like I said, it was a pre-production model. So um, it wasn't a hundred percent quite yet. But it, from, from what I did use, it was very intuitive. It was very simple, I think very easy to learn. Um, and it uh, didn't uh, feel like it was in the way. I will say, I think the, I drove a first edition. So that's the top tier model. And that had, I think it's an 11 inch screen. I felt like it, you know some i think the the lower level uh models will have a smaller screen i think i have to drive both of them to see which one i liked better um but it wasn't like overtly distracting or anything um of, of course the 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 dash you know where where the, the speedometer and and is such it was was very small but the data you need for an electric car is Really, just the speed limit, or how fast you're going, and uh, you know how much charge you have left.
0: You know this this ID four is going to compete with not only the Tesla Model Y but also the Mustang Mach E. And size wise, it's it's in that ballpark. It's either a little bigger, or a little smaller than the other two. Um, I from the photographs, it looked like that the cargo and rear seat area were quite large. Do you have any? Impressions. I, I assume you didn't get to spend a lot of time looking at it that back there, but it looked like it could hold its own for someone in that small SUV class.
2: Sure, um, I think they said that the cargo area uh, was pretty equivalent to the Tiguan, um, and, and just yeah. looking at it, it did feel very spacious. You know, I said there was no front trunk. Yeah, but you don't need one with the amount of space that you have in the, the cargo area. Um, and th- there were a couple of things you could do to even make it a little bit larger, uh, which we'll be able to test out more when we have the car with us. Um, but I mean, it definitely seemed like there was enough space for any comfortable long trips for sure.
0: You know, the, uh, the base price of it and is, is less than the model Y or the Mach-E and in response to Volkswagen publishing the prices to starting in the, the around 40 with, um, before any government incentives, uh, Ford has already lowered the prices on the Mach-E uh, just this week. So um, I think everybody's looking at this and thinking, this is some real competition. Uh, do either of you guys have any comments on the, on the ID four?
3: Yeah, just briefly that pricing, as you mentioned, puts it right about where the Bolt EV is. Uh, it has 250 miles of range, which we should point out. Um, I think they've already sold out the first editions that Jessica mentioned. So yeah. obviously, people are really excited about it. Uh, and then Volkswagen's throwing in three years of ch- free charging at uh, Charge America or whatever the name is, uh, charging stations. So, Electrify uh, America. And so, it's ever since Dieselgate happened. Yeah, Electrify America. Ever since Dieselgate uh, happened, Volkswagen says they're putting all their resources into EVs, and this is the first proof of it, and there's a lot more coming. Um, but, yeah, if this doesn't make you jump into EVs, I don't, I'm not sure what you're – Craig,
1: anything? Yeah, um, it's – to the point of the pricing, they also announced their lease pricing, which I think is under $400 a month. Yeah, 379 It appeals to people uh, millennials and younger because we're used to not like actually owning anything. (laughs) We're we're basically subscription people, which is fine. I mean, it's for that price. I don't think, I don't see an issue with it. Um, That same deal where you get the three years of charging, which uh, you know, infrastructure is only going to get better. And you know, DC fast charging is really what you want. uh, If you're going to make any kind of trip, you're going to want to charge, I think they charged between 5 and 80% in about like 35 minutes or so, which um, you know results may vary as we've seen uh, depending mm-hmm. on where you are. Uh, and prices may vary as well. So I think that is something to keep in mind. Um, I think it's interesting that they – I'm curious if, Jessica, if they even mentioned their Golf EV because I know they're calling this their first long-range EV even though they did have the Golf EV first. So did they say they learned anything from – or e-golf, I forget what they call it.
2: Yeah, yeah. They, they briefly mentioned that when they were giving me the whole uh, spiel about, about the uh, ID4. They talked about how they built upon, you know, uh, the the e-golf and, of course, how they're looking at other, you know, EV competitors like the Tesla, and like the Ford mach uh, Mustang mach mm-hmm. so...
3: I think only had a little over 100 mile range that's why they consider this their first right. long range EV.
0: Yeah, they've said this is the first EV they've done that's designed for the American market which means longer Correct. range. Correct. Well, thanks for that report. That was extremely comprehensive. Um, and really I'm I'm I personally am very interested in getting in it. Uh there've been a lot some European journalists that have posted uh, some drives and uh, it seems to be at the moment, pretty universal praise for it. So we'll see. Let's move on now to something more uh, here and now and a little more widespread. That's the 2021, 2021 Kia Sorento. Who would like to start talking about small SUVs?
3: Uh, actually, it's midsize, but I'll be the first to jump in. Uh, having had quite an experience with Sorrento And if this goes you owned, on too you long, feel one. free to cut me off. You owned one, uh, right? Yeah, I went on the original launch out in Idaho, and we did all kinds of off-roading out there. I was pretty impressed. They had a 4Runner out there. It did everything the 4Runner could do. A lot of people forget the first gen uh, was body on frame. It was a yeah. tough, tough little truck. And uh, uh, not long after that, my wife was in one. She loved it so much. We bought one, uh, had it for 14 years, put wow. 265,000 miles on it and never had any problems. Uh, Second gen got extremely car-like and ugly. (laughs) Uh, Third gen uh, got bigger and better, but it was still um, more Highlander than 4Runner. Uh, The new gen, they've definitely tried to make it uh, more rugged and it looks good. And you can get a off-road model with one inch of lift.
1: (laughs) Yeah. the. the powertrains uh they're they're kind of giving offering more uh hybrid and a plug-in hybrid eventually um as my wife walks down the steps (laughs) um yeah so i think that's you know back to the whole generational thing that's going to appeal a lot to uh, the millennials and people who are like really for the whole hybrid first type deal um you know it does look a lot better uh i know the, uh, driving the Sorento from two generations ago, and then the previous one, they actually worked that suspension out a lot because the uh, two-gen ago Sorento really was like a boat. I mean, it was like constantly back and forth on the highway, mm-hmm. and they really sorted it out on the uh, this latest one before the 2021. So I have to imagine they have gotten even better than that. So I'm looking forward to driving it. it looks more. It looks more upscale. It's inside
0: and out.
2: Yeah. yeah, I feel like when I saw the profile of it, it, it reminded me a little bit of an Acura, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you can sort of see where the, the front gets its cues a little bit from, you know, the new K5. I right. see a lot um, with that. I, I think I, I'm, I'm really interested to see the, the, the space on the inside. Uh, you know, we have, there's supposed to be more, more cargo space. Uh, There's now a standard third row, which sort of changes things a little bit uh, because you can get you can now get captain's chairs in the second row. So there's a lot of configurations for um, Quite a few different family types. Uh, I know um, that the three row SUV market is very competitive because a lot of people need or want a three-row SUV. They need that size. They need that space. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting to see sort of uh, the the Sorrento in person.
0: Yeah, The uh, and, and what, what kind of space they were able to carve out for that third row because generally when you get into the smaller SUVs, it's almost more for bar- marketing bragging rights yeah, than anything else. Yeah, well, I mean – I- Down to midsize.
1: Yeah, having a uh, CX-9 personally, it's – I understand it's not going to fit adults back there comfortably, but it is nice to have in a pinch. It really is because, I mean, most – 95% of the time it stays down in our car to throw Mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, strollers and whatever else we have. But every once in a while you just got to toss someone back there, and it it is (laughs) nice having that option. Even for short
3: trips. Just just like all-wheel drive, you hardly ever need it, but when you do, it's good to
0: have
1: Yeah super
0: let's move on to something that uh bowed recently and to um you know there's two sides to this next car the next cars one is the performance the other is its appearance the 2021 bmw m3 and m4 bringing i don't know what you want to call it but the exaggerated split grill from the uh, that's going to be the new bmw signature uh to the forefront we just saw it on the uh, the uh uh two four series uh convertible as well anyway what do you think about the new m3 and m4
1: why don't we get into the uh performance first and then maybe we can that'll be more positive we I. Think. we don't need to beat a dead horse honestly well uh, be... as you
0: always as you always point out to to me and we point out to uh, our viewers beauty is in the eye of the beholder so
1: shoot yeah that's uh my wife is a firm believer in that apparently um so (laughs) it's still using a uh, inline six twin turbo um power is up across the board because they will do an m3 and m4 competition model those are going to be the high end yeah um so 510 horsepower for those um 480 for if you just get into an m3 or an m4 standard um it's quite a bit more over 50 horsepower more than the previous one but those never really lacked power in fact i think they even had too much power or the delivery was just off it always seemed like if you're driving around you get a little bit too much into it you're constantly seeing that amber traction light which is kind of annoying and maybe unnerving to some people um six-speed manual option which is i think maybe the only uh manual in this segment and, of course, an eight-speed uh, automatic transmission. And probably the biggest news is all-wheel drive in an M3 or M4, first yeah. time ever.
3: Uh, yeah, I'll try to keep it brief. I'm fighting some internet gremlins here. But the, uh, I started testing in the late 90s, so I always felt like I missed the golden era of M3. Everyone kept telling me the older ones were better, blah, blah, blah. But I always enjoyed the heck out of them. Um, looking forward to driving this one. As Greg mentioned, the manual's back. Only in the base model, not in the competition. Um, It's still going to be packed full of electronics. It's still going to be heavy, but I can't wait to drive it.
1: The the all-wheel drive, um, it it really just, I think, it will depend on what you want to get out of your car because, honestly, um, as much power as it has on the street, when we took an M4 competition a few years ago to Roebling, that was an extremely controllable car on the track, Mm -hmm. um, very well balanced. So really, I mean, I think BMW is not uh, making stuff up when they say these are made for the track because I think in our experience, they handle extremely well. I think the the all-wheel drive
0: is simply an answer to what you touched on, is that it had a very sensitive throttle in the past. Horsepower numbers are getting up there and they just need more tread, more connection to the road to to lay it down. And that's all-wheel drive makes sense. Now that all the manufacturers have pretty much learned how to dial in, dial out all of the uh, understeer that all-wheel drive used to uh, bring, so it's probably a logical development.
1: Yeah, and you're still going to be accelerating from a dig. I mean, especially yeah. with all-wheel drive, uh, around four seconds or even less. So, what do you think about the new, uh, new BMW nose? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. You're kind
0: so of. So, what br- do you think about the new BMW nose? <laughs>
2: The nose, well, you know, with, what's kind of a bummer is that we've only seen the front end on the European models. Um, so with like a European license plate. Mm. So we get a lot of our testers of BMWs from states that require uh, front license plates. So it'll only be a matter of time before uh, we see one. And I don't mind it so much. Uh, with that European license plate because it's long and spans the grill. But um, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to look with the, an American front license plate. I think that's my, my yeah. reservation.
0: I think when you see it from above, like you are standing, you know, normally, instead of the low angle shots that they always send you in the press materials, I think it's going to look different. And, and actually, I think it may be you know, less controversial than than it seems to be at the moment.
2: Yeah, we got to see it in person, yeah. in, in reality, <laughs> and not in glamour shots. Anything from you two guys?
1: Yeah, I'm in no position to comment on anybody else's nose, as you can see. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian seems to echo that. All right, let's move on then. We have our lightning round. And uh, this, in to my mind, this is the most important thing, single thing that has happened uh, since we last did a podcast. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom is calling for a ban on gasoline powered new cars and trucks by 2035. And actually it's diesel power too, it's internal combustion engine. The uh, California Air Resources Board is being called upon to work with industry partners to make zero emission electric vehicles, more practical by accelerating the number of charging stations is all of us a practical goal. Let me just give a couple more details. It really hasn't been a total ban. It's not a total ban on internal combustion, but it sure seems like it. Uh, They are talking about you'll still be able to buy and sell uh, gas and diesel powered vehicles on the used market. He simply has turned this over to the California Air Resources Board to come up with regulations. A big question is, will you be able to register a internal combustion engine, gas or diesel that you bought out of state uh, a new, as a new vehicle? My, I would be willing to bet they'll say no. Uh, so this is in 2035, seems like a long time, but it's only two car cycles from where we are today. And we also must remember that I think it's 12 or 13 other states in the District of Columbia have signed up and passed legislation to follow California. Nobody's made a pronouncement yet, although someone told me that Maine had some, the Maine governor said something about it. So this has nationwide potential. California is like 11% of the U.S. car market, but we're actually talking about something that could affect over half of it. Having said that, I'll turn it over to you folks to give your opinions.
1: I think it's always a little easier to take the pessimistic, pessimistic view. Uh, so I'm going to say it's not totally practical because I think they're going to get fought tooth and nail as we've seen with basic, basically any issue. Um, you know, Americans love their cars. They love their gas powered engines. I know California has a huge following of EVs, hydrogen powered vehicles. Uh, It's just, it's going to be really, really hard, I'll say that, for for this to, if it were to come to fruition by 2035, color me completely shocked.
3: Yeah, it's just another attempt of California to get as many people as possible to leave the state. Uh, (laughs) Plus, plus you mentioned, you mentioned the used cars are still bought and sold with gas, it's fine. Used car market's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, More power to it.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, it's a difficult question because I, I feel like it is very optimistic. But then again, we don't know where technology is going to be 15 years from now. Um, of course, there's always, you know, well, if you transition to electric cars and you have more and more people with electric cars in that area of the country, they do struggle uh, sometimes with uh, their energy grid already. So it would be a lot of pressure on the energy grid. I could see uh, something like that working, maybe somewhere else, um, but it's it's so hard to tell. And maybe it's a very optimistic goal. And but you know who knows where we will be in twenty
0: thirty five. To give you a little history, since I'm it's considerably older than you three. When California first uh, put in its most stringent uh, emissions rules, which basically were trying to get people into electric cars, and this goes back 30 years, they basically pushed the industry. We saw companies like Chrysler buying uh, golf cart companies, basically, so they could meet the goals. They've, the state eventually backed off, but you could probably say that they did push the industry further than they would have gone. And my guess is that's what's going to happen here. That if they don't make 2035, maybe they'll make 2040 or 2045. If they had said 2050, I would have said, which is what some of the European countries have done, I would have said that is very doable. I think 2035 is a little soon. uh, And I think having it spread to the East, if it does, is going to be politically much more sensitive than maybe in California. So I think this is uh the beginning of it's opening a new chapter into the push for evs I never I, I think bans are terrible and they never work but obviously the uh, California governor was seizing on their horrible situation with wildfires to do something that a lot of environmentalists think should be done and uh, it's going to be very interesting I personally and i'll I'll hush you know I think the industry was on a more solid path when we had the uh, Obama era emission standards that looked like they were going to be almost impossible to meet, but the industry said, we're going to suck it up and do it. And uh, probably depending on what happens in the near future, we may see those come back. So we'll see. It's going to be, I think there's definitely going to be a push one way or the other to clean up the air from uh, fuel uh, emissions regardless
1: yeah i just feel like i'd have to add you know i don't my pessimism for this specific thing isn't um you know because i don't think it's a good thing i think it is a good thing and i think we have to Technologically difficult i think we have to work that way uh i was just purely answering the question of whether or not 2035 is a realistic goal
0: yeah i i agree with you i i think it probably isn't but um you know, that's, that's what they do out there where they lay down the gauntlet and then they'll back off later after everybody spends billions of dollars trying to meet the original get deadline. <laughs> so we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a question from W. 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 From W. Not George W., I guess.
1: Maybe. I don't we, know. Well, it could be. It
0: could be. I have a 2018 Toyota Tundra and because of my age. It could be George W., And COVID-19, I have driven it just 2,500 miles since the last oil change. I'm using 0W20 full synthetic oil. Do I need to change the oil at the next suggested date interval, or can I wait another 2,500 miles for the 5,000-mile interval? What do you think?
3: Uh, I don't want to give false information or bad information, but um, coming from the guy who got 265,000 miles on the Kia Sorento, doing all the maintenance, I would say you're fine going to
1: 5,000 miles. Yeah, I mean, I I know that you're supposed to uh, do it at that interval, the time interval, because oil does eventually break down. That's conventional, obviously, is more susceptible to that than synthetic. Um, So with synthetic, I do think it's probably okay. And honestly, to be totally honest, I would probably just let it go. And I've done that in the past. Um, but if at all possible, I mean, it is good to just keep up with those dates, you know, even for your own sake. Cause maybe you accidentally do miss one. And then now you're like two years behind. Jessica, what would you do?
2: Oh, I mean, I would, you're using full synthetic oil. I, I, I'm not a person who uses full synthetic oil, uh, since I have a much older engine, but, uh, what do you have again, Jessica? <laughs> Look, I have a Jeep.
1: Oh, that's right. I couldn't remember.
2: (laughs) Yeah, um, but uh, no, I mean, I I think whatever you're comfortable with, uh, some people like the dates, some people like the miles. If you're really uncomfortable, maybe meet in the middle.
0: You know, I I think there's something that we need to talk about specifically for this 2018. He's still under warranty. He's not only got probably a new car warranty left for the whole vehicle, he's got a powertrain warranty. Now, 5,000 miles is probably sooner than his powertrain warranty needs, says it should be changed anyway. So my advice for W is make sure you don't go longer than what your owner's manual says you need to go for changing the oil because the dealer can void your warranty. And that means time and date. So frankly, you ought to call the service manager or call the dealer, ask them your question. I'm sure they're gonna tell you to bring it in and change the oil, but there's much more at stake here. And that's your powertrain warranty, which is worth, you know, a lot of money. So um, even though I would stretch it out if it was an older vehicle without any question, going to 5,000 because you're not driving it, you're not getting it dirty, You got to pay attention to the warranty and uh, not just to the new car, but also the powertrain. So be careful. Of
2: course, course if you're, if you're one of those uh, lucky folks who gets who bought their car and gets complimentary oil changes, then I would just say, get your oil changed. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A lot of you're very
0: absolutely right. But there the catch is there. They won't do it until they have to,
2: Ah. you
0: know, they, they look at the, the uh, calendar, and the miles and it's only free if you meet
2: Certain that standards.
0: particular, you know, date or mileage. Mm. Okay, That's, anybody got a rant and rave
1: they want to talk about?
2: I feel like nothing. I feel like I did I have one? I oh no, you
1: time. have to have one.
2: I I queued up some from it the could last be a good time. thing. It
1: could be a it could be a rave.
2: That's true. You know what, I do have a rave. My rave is um, that a positive of the pandemic is the fact that um, my car insurance uh, went down, which I, I, I believe quite a few people's car insurance also went down as well. Mine went down, um, I don't know exactly how much, but
0: it was a relatively. Probably 15% is what they've been, a lot of the TV ads have said.
2: Yeah, I think it was close. I think it was close to that. Yeah. It was, uh, so it, it went down. And so I will rave uh, about that.
0: <laughs> that's the first time I think that's ever happened.
2: <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, why else would they, <laughs> you know, charge you less? Yeah. But, for quite a for quite a few months, I mean nobody nobody was driving, you know, for a good I would say month or two. Really, didn't have many people on the roads, so less auto accidents, less insurance payouts. Uh, <laughs> that's always good for the uh, <laughs> insurance companies. Yeah, you know, speaking of money, I want
0: to give a, a shout out to every little town, and there's a lot of them around where I live that have been not collecting parking meter uh, fees. And not giving out tickets because they're trying to get people to come out and shop downtown because nobody's going out. And I think that that was a smart move by some of the municipalities uh, to encourage people. And even where they haven't done that officially, I have to admit, I haven't seen anybody trying to give somebody a parking ticket in six months. So, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Anybody else? All right, well, I think that wraps up our MotorWeek podcast number 239. Thanks, Jessica, Brian, and Greg. Also want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, back at the home base, our podcast producer, Greg right here, and our creator, Bob Mixter. And to all of you out there, be sure to watch MotorWeek on your local public television stations. If you're not sure where to find us, go to our website, motorweek.org. Click down from the top menu. You can put in your zip code and find out where we are being shown and when. Also, we're seen every week, many times, but starting on Tuesday nights at 7.30 on the Motor Trend cable channel. We're on PBS Living, which is Proder Prime Video, so you can stream us there. And of course, what Jessica is in charge of, our uh, MotorWeek YouTube uh, channel, youtube.com slash motorweek where you can see all of the individual segments we've done and a lot of the historical, too, and an awful lot of material in our first looks that uh, hasn't made it to air yet. So we keep you up to date there and through the website. I think I covered everything. Yeah. So next time, thanks, everybody, and thanks very much for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.